Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria. We're very excited, Francis and I, to be back with you. Um, Francis, welcome back. Great to see you. <laughs> Great to see you too, Mark, and to be back with the Radio Maria listening audience. Uh, we're thrilled to be back after a, a, a Sabbath rest, <laughs> a long one, but um, it, we're excited and we thank you uh, for listening in and we hope that you will enjoy the programming that we are planning to uh, provide for you. So Francis and I have been on a fairly long hiatus, but we are thrilled to be back. We've been working on some new programming and getting some other things uh, uh, aligned. I will uh, begin the program uh, not with a prayer this evening, but rather with a confession that we are facing still some technical challenges with regard to the broadcast. So I apologize for what may be somewhat diminished uh, fidelity in the sound that you might be hearing this evening or ultimately on a playback, uh, but we are working on it. We will have these resolved probably within the next couple of weeks, and we look forward to getting back into the studio where we have done our work in the past uh, and being able to bring you, I believe, a, a higher quality um, production of the, uh, of the broadcast. But we appreciate your patience in bearing with us in this first evening and likely again next week until we get those technical issues resolved. But with that then, and I think most especially Francis, we're going to turn to prayer. And so I'll invite Francis to lead us in prayer. Well, this prayer is the act of love to the Sacred Heart by Mary Cardinal de Ball. And the reason why I chose it is because this month of June is dedicated to devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about to begin with. And so let's just get recollected and put the worries of the day away and invite the Holy Spirit to come in and help us to uh, be peaceful and let us pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Reveal thy sacred heart to me, O Jesus, and show me its attractions. Unite me to it forever. Grant that all my aspirations and all the beats of my heart, which cease not even while I sleep, may be a testimonial to thee of my love for thee, and may say to thee, Yes, Lord, I am all thine. The pledge of my allegiance to thee rests ever in my heart and will never cease to be there. Do thou accept the slight amount of good that I do and be graciously pleased to repair all my wrongdoing so that I may be able to bless thee in time and in eternity. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Francis. I want to begin our conversation tonight, Francis, just by talking again about um, sort of the nature and the theme of our programming, that which we did for, I think it was six years, if I remember, yes. some uh, 200 programs, many of which are still available on... CarmelineConversations.com. Right, if you want to listen to the broadcast of those, and there's, a, I think, a fair amount of a good material, so we've been told anyway, and we appreciate those uh, comments and that feedback. I've received a great deal. I know Francis has. Uh, but the theme of our conversation is really all about living the contemplative life in the midst of our secular roles and responsibilities. That was what we talked about for a number of years and it is what we have been exposed to in our Carmelite walk and it is what we continue to both teach and 
and uh, write about and in our various ministries, Francis and myself, um, our focus is really about how can we live a full, um, a deep, intimate, contemplative experience with our Lord, even in the midst of our secular responsibilities, distractions, uh, challenges, and all the inevitable um, uh, pressures that that may place on a disciplined and regular prayer life. Uh, I would say that uh, in my case, I, I am a father and a grandfather. Um, I have employment, I have home responsibilities. Francis, certainly you have much of those, many of those responsibilities yourself. And yet we are still called to this intimate contemplative encounter with the living God through the practice of mental prayer, which we'll talk about over the many months, and contemplation, which shouldn't put anybody um, sort of uh, in a state of disease, right, uh, Francis? They should not feel uncomfortable with this term contemplation. Right, because it can be taken in the sense of living a contemplative life that helps you to be at peace and to be open to the Lord. And also the degree of prayer, of infused contemplation. And as we speak of those, we'll try to make those clear to you. So in addition to uh, the prayer, we want to talk about the practices that help us develop a prayer life and to grow on this spiritual journey up Mount Carmel, what we say in our Carmelite meetings. Uh, we want to travel up Mount Carmel and we have three great doctors of the church that are discalced Carmelites, St. Teresa of Avila, St. John the Cross, and St. Therese of Lisieux. And they are accompanied by many other Carmelite saints and venerables, blesseds, um, and lay people, seculars, that will help us to understand how we can grow on this journey so that we may be in union with God and do His will. Yeah, and that phrase, union with God, means unifying our will to God's will. That's what the walk of Carmel, frankly, that's what the Christian journey is all about, conforming ourselves to God's will. And we'll talk about, uh, over the many weeks ahead, how do we find peace in the midst of those str uh, struggles and trials that I made mention of earlier? How do we find consolation um, in the midst of the crosses that we have to carry? And most especially, how do we find peace of heart, peace within our own hearts? This is really the gift uh, of the contemplative uh, walk of life. It is the promise that our Lord left us. And in this month, in a special way, of course, uh, we're going to focus on the discussion, as we will today, of the Sacred Heart. The Lord's Sacred Heart, of course, but our entry into the Sacred Heart, which begins with the purification of our own heart, with the realization that it is from this deep interior experience in prayer that we come to know the Lord's heart, we come to know ourselves, as Teresa of Avila would tell us constantly, self-knowledge will be with us throughout the spiritual journey. And we come into that uh, deep encounter, that experience of knowing that we are um, in union with God, that he is calling us to himself, and that he's making the way possible. He's the one who's actually doing the work. We come to discover that. Um, and today, as I said, we're going to begin that conversation by focusing on what we focus on in the month of June in the church, and that is devotion to the Sacred Heart. We draw some of the material that we're going to discuss today from a couple of pr uh, principal texts. Ironically, they're both written by Jesuits, 
but then we will uh, follow up with a brief discussion today and a much lengthier discussion over the next few weeks with the Carmelite uh, who perhaps has uh, been most identified with the Sacred Heart and herself had a great devotion to the Sacred Heart and that is Teresa Margaret Reddy of the Sacred Heart. Um, she is a uh, Italian Carmelite who was in a Carmel in Florence. We'll talk about the biographical sketch of her life when we get to her. Uh, but she is the Carmelite most especially associated with devotion to the, the Sacred Heart. And so we'll spend some time today, but much more over the next uh, couple of weeks, talking about her. I want Francis, though, first to go ahead and introduce the two texts uh, that serve as least uh, one, uh, one uh, source. These texts serve as a source of the information for our discussion. Right, in case you want to read from them. One is The Devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus by Father John Crozier. Um, from uh, the Jesuits, as you said. The other one is The Imitation of the Sacred Heart of Jesus by Father Peter J. Arnold. I'm not sure I pronounced that you correctly. Right. <laughs> and those are both from Tan Publishers. And I, I really enjoy that book. Um, I have a special devotion to the Sacred Heart personally. And the devotion to the Sacred Heart has only been more enhanced once I became a secular discalced Carmelite. You know, devotion to the Sacred Heart is really infinite love humanized. And this devotion, it's not some vague, superficial, you know, sentimental devotion, but it's one of profound, infinite depths. It's by penetrating his heart, the heart of Jesus, to embrace the most profound mysteries of his infinite love. The Sacred Heart is not just a symbol, but it's a reality. It's the loving person of Jesus. It's His love and His feelings. You know, and when we talk about the Sacred Heart, uh, Francis, and especially with regard to our own heart, the purification of our own heart, this is the call, as I said earlier in Carmel. We must come in touch with our own hearts and where we are on our journey. You know, we all are in need of some measure of purification. What is purification? It's so often, I think, misunderstood or misconstrued as, oh, we're bad people and we need to be fixed. No, we're actually wounded people who are not yet capable of the measure of love that we were designed for. And that's really what you speak about when you hear this idea of transformation in love. We in Carmel talk about transformation in love. What we're talking about is healing the woundedness of the human heart. Listen, we all have some measure of woundedness deep within us. It's either a consequence of our um, personal experiences. Uh, maybe it is the concupiscence that we were born with and things we may have chosen to do throughout the course of our lives uh, that we now regret. Uh, but all of these things lead to a deep woundedness in the human heart. And what that woundedness does is it limits our capacity to become love itself, which is what we are called to. We are to become uh, the image, the model that was created and presented to us, that being Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, we must heal the woundedness within our hearts that limits our capacity to love. And so as we talk about, um, as Francis did so eloquently, what it means when we speak about the, the sacred heart, we have to understand that our own hearts need to be conformed to the sacred heart. We need to heal the woundedness. We need to be embraced by the living God. We need to understand that we are loved because until we understand that we are loved, we cannot love. 
We love because he first loved us. It's a scripture verse that we should be very familiar with. It gives us the capacity to love. This work of healing that is done within us is first, and most especially, the work of the Holy Spirit, but it is the work in a large way of the entire Trinity. And for us in Carmel, uh, we rely very heavily on devotion to our saints to help teach us and inform us and guide us and instruct us and to let us know that even when things uh, seem to be going awry, they will tell us that they've traveled the same difficult paths at times in their life. And all the Carmelites will know that in, if you don't wear the brown scapular and you use the scapular medal instead, that scapular medal has Our Lady of Mount Carmel holding the baby Jesus on one side, but on the other side is an image of the sacred heart of Jesus. It's important in Carmel, but for all of us, no matter what order or what church we belong to, how to learn to love God and love our neighbor. So the sacred heart of Jesus is going to be one way that we can learn more about how to imitate Jesus. Well, and as we have this entire month, Francis, we're broadcasting in the early part of June, um, we have this entire month now to devote to of the Sacred Heart, I want to encourage our listeners to find ways, perhaps it's a novena, uh, perhaps it's reading one of the books that we've highlighted, perhaps it'll be later as we introduce more of the details of St. Teresa Margaret Reddy of the Sacred Heart, maybe finding a way to learn more about her or developing a devotion to her. We want you, and as I said at the very beginning, um, this is about taking the lessons of the contemplative experience and applying them to our daily life. And in order to do that, we have to find ways to actively engage in this participation, whether, as I say, it's a devotion to the Sacred Heart, it's learning more about uh, one of the saints devoted to the Sacred Heart, it's practicing a, a, a particular uh, or, or, or participating in a novena to the Sacred Heart. These are practical ways that we can apply what it is that we only talk about here, but apply them to our life and have uh, a meaningful impact in our life uh, by virtue of those practices. So we want to encourage you to do that. We'll talk about more of them. In fact, I think Frances shared with me she's got a laundry list of things that she's going to. Yes, at the end. Share I have, yes, I have a. I have some really constructive suggestions that I'll try to put in at the end of this podcast and this program. So let's begin with this uh, one brief phrase. It is through the portal of your heart that you will enter eternity. And I had to go and look that up, Francis, and remind myself where I'd seen it. And to give credit, it's actually from uh, Spirit Daily, a daily Catholic publication by Michael Brown, a wonderful publication, by the way, um, an internet publication. And Michael had this attached to one of the uh, reflections he'd written a few years ago, actually, uh, about how to find our mission in life. This was the last line, and it, it stayed with me. It is through the portal of your heart that you will enter eternity. That's really the focus of our conversation today. And I wanna uh, start us off by understanding that it is both the uh, entry into our heart, I mentioned as self-knowledge, and the enlarging of our heart that is necessary to facilitate our entry into heaven. And we have a couple of scripture passages that will help us understand that. The first one is from Matthew chapter seven. And I have verse 13 and 14. And it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. How narrow the gate, 
and constricted the road that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now Luke uh, 13, 24 actually deals with this in a slightly different way. He says, strive to enter through the narrow door. We could e easily have used the word gate. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So this brings up two interesting points, Francis, for our conversation. First, it leads us to wonder uh, if this is what Christ meant when he talked about the entryway into heaven being this narrow gate. Is it the heart, in fact, that he was referring to? And if, as we read in Matthew, and I appreciate you're adding that second verse, and, and I just read in Luke, if the gate is narrow, why is it narrow? What's resulted in the narrowness of this gate? Of course, we know that Christ is actually the door. He's actually the gate. But as we discussed, it is our conformance to the image of the model that has been presented to us in Jesus Christ that allows us to enter through this gate. So Jesus said this in John 10, 7. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So he's making very clear in this gospel verse from John. Jesus himself is this door. He is the gate. He is the heart through which we are going to enter. Indeed, it is Christ's sacred heart that is the gate. I like this analogy. Uh, of the door and the gate and the heart. But what but, does it mean? Yeah, what's it mean Explain it. <laughs> well, uh, to be honest, there's a fair amount of theological debate about what Christ meant by this narrow gate. But if we at least accept for the moment that the heart is a symbol of love, then it might cause us to consider what we can do to enlarge our eternal entryway in, in through our hearts while we're still on this side of eternity. So again, if the heart is analogous to this gate, if Christ is the gate and the sacred heart is representative of it, our own hearts conforming to Christ's sacred heart will enlarge the gate. In other words, the gate for us won't be quite so narrow. Um, and we have to work throughout our entire lives to enlarge our own hearts to make this path, this uh, um, way through Christ's heart broader. And I know St. Teresa of Avila in the interior castle talks about the constricted heart and the enlarged heart. So some of you who are familiar with her writing on the interior castle may want to go back and check for references on that. So many people find this verse about the narrow gate somewhat striking verse because it suggests the very real possibility that many souls may be lost. You know, Ralph Martin has a, uh, an interesting uh, reflection on that. I was re-listening to it again uh, a week or so ago. And he talks about um, how, uh, and this is part of the challenge, listeners, of what we also want to present in our conversations. Ralph's own words on this, and I, I tend to agree with him, by the way. He's a wonderful evangelist from Michigan and has spoken all over the country, all over the world, really. Uh, but he talks about there is sort of a malaise, even in Christian circles these days, Many people simply believing uh, that the vast majority of souls go to heaven. The vast majority of the souls are conformed to Christ. The vast majority of souls are transformed in a way necessary uh, for entry into heaven. And his contention is, in reading Matthew, uh, the verses you just read, Francis, that in fact that's not the case. That there may well be fewer souls that go to heaven. He doesn't know, and he's certainly not positing an answer, but he extracts from Scripture uh, his exegesis 
the very real possibility that fewer souls may actually end up there than what we think. And so that should challenge us a little bit, not frighten us, but challenge us. We know uh, that it's about conforming our hearts in love, and that is work that needs to be done. But we ought not to be misled about the necessity of that work. And so that leads to my second point, is that to enter into heaven is going to... Um, in, we have to work at it. We have to do something. We can't just take it for granted. So there is a struggle. Um, there are efforts that we need to make. Just as in love, when you love someone, you make the effort. And so uh, to grow in love, to enlarge our heart, we have to make the effort. And well, we don't do this alone, of course, but we certainly have to do our part. Um, but Jesus is going to lead the way, and the Holy Spirit's going to give us the light, and we do want to get there. And so um, we have a couple of other scripture passages that I think are going to help us to understand this better. In Philippians, Paul writes, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, you know, it makes that's a struggle. <laughs> and Paul is advocating this. He's making it clear. You know, uh, I, I've used this line so many times, Francis, uh, but it's true. It isn't the scripture verses that I read that I don't understand that cause me concern. It's the ones I read that I know quite well what, <laughs> what was intended. Good point. That cause us concern. So Paul says here, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's a wonderful book, by the way, by Kierkegaard entitled Fear and Trembling that talks about this oh. very principle. Uh, but what are, we, what are we saying? What is Paul saying? Fear of the Lord, a very common phrase. We find it in, in uh, the Psalms many times. Uh, fear of the Lord, of course, does not mean uh, weak need shuddering at the presence or thought of God. What it means is reverence for God awe for God's awesomeness, his omnipotence, a sufficient understanding of the implications for the decisions that we make in our life or those that we fail to make with regard to our eternal salvation. Again, I don't want this to come off as too heavy-handed, but we need to be honest with ourselves, listeners, about what the stakes are um, with regard to our spiritual journey. And again, I'll say I, I do believe there are many who, who perhaps naively uh, believe that their attendance at Mass is sufficient, even if they're not fully engaged in the Mass. Or the occasional time spent in prayer would be sufficient. And I think what Scripture says very clearly in it, just these two verses that we've read now, Matthew and here in Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Recognize that there is struggle involved in this journey and be willing to engage in that struggle. Well, that is a difficult passage, but thankfully we have this one to encourage us, and this is also from, from, from Philippians, um, and it follows the line, the, the scripture passage you just read. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so God has promised to help us to enlarge our hearts, and to wake, make our way smooth, but we also have to make way, make way, make smooth the way of the Lord, right? That's what we end up saying around the, right. right? But we must be prepared to do our part. And what is that part? Where must we work to obey? And I think this is a good place to take a little bit of a break. <laughs> Don't you yeah, think? we'll leave we'll leave that thought. What is our part? What is it that we are called to do? I just want to emphasize, Francis, the point you just made, though. Um, God will do this work. 
What must we do to dispose ourselves to the work? That's the question we'll leave before the break, and we'll be back with you in just a few minutes. A reminder, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll be right back. regard to what is the response or what is our part as regards um, the enlarging of our heart and disposing ourselves to the work that the the Lord wants to do within us. And uh, I'd, I'd ask you to read that one scripture verse, I think, from John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. If the measure of our achievement in this life could be clearly expressed in one simple phrase, it would be the quote from St. John of the Cross, I'm sure. He's a well-known Carmelite, theologian, poet, and mystic. And he said this, and it was from the dark night of the soul. Quote, in the evening of life, we will be judged on love alone, end of quote. And St. Therese of Lisieux um, also imitated St. John of the Cross by saying, love is repaid by love alone. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know the St. John of the Cross quote, you know the Therese one probably. And the other uh, interesting thing about Therese, when she struggled with trying to understand her mission, remember she wanted to be a missionary, and then she wanted to do, you know, so many other things within the Carmel. The, the she wanted to be a preacher, or apostle. She yeah, wanted to do yeah, it all, yeah. a martyr. Joan of the Ark. Joan of Arc. <laughs> yes. Um, and it, in the end, of course, she resolves on um, the reality that um, I, I found my mission. My mission in the heart of church is to be loved in the heart of the church. Yes. Right? But really, in in a very real way, that's all of our mission, isn't it, yes. Francis? We are all called to exactly that uh, same mission. In the evening of life, in fact, we will be judged, as St. John of the Cross says, on love alone. It's that love alone, at least according to John of the Cross, none of the rest of what we will do will really matter uh, much uh, uh, for anything. If it is not done in love, I think that's a pretty blunt statement. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't do all that we're called to do as seculars. Raising our children, fulfilling our responsibilities at home, doing our work, whatever it might be. Uh, and also our apostolic work, our charity, our, our uh, missionary work. Um, and I would say, even like St. Therese of Lisieux would say, picking up your pencil. Because yeah. she says, even the smallest action done with love is very valuable. Yeah. And that's the point. It is infusing love into everything we do. You know, Francis, I, we may have been just a bit remiss, and I want to circle back. Uh, as we talk about the, the idea of um, apostolic and, and charitable works uh, brought this to mind. Uh, we live, both Francis and I live in the Miami Valley here in Ohio. And this past week, regardless of when you're listening to this broadcast, uh, for us in the, uh, well, the Memorial Day was actually the, right. the, the day Right, a week event. ago today. Yeah, we now have been told that there were as many as 15, 15 tornadoes that touched down in our area. And I'm sure, Francis, you've had the opportunity, I unfortunately have, to drive around some of those neighborhoods that were yeah, devastated. Yeah, a couple of them were EF4s yeah. and 3s and 2s. So um, 15 in this area, it's, it's 
a lot of devastation in just almost every area of the Dayton metro yeah. area. We are blessed that there was very limited loss of life. We know of one gentleman for sure, and there may be two others potentially. God rest their soul. Uh, but what is true, nonetheless, is uh, a number of people still without power, without water, some without the necessary, uh, you know, elements to sustain life, food, for example, uh, and the inability to get to it. So we ask, whenever you may be listening to this, because this will go on for many months, uh, we would ask your prayers for those uh, people affected by these horrible storms in the Miami Valley, uh, that you might lift them up in prayer for their safety, uh, for them to find the necessary shelter. I read today about uh, a number of folks who are uh, without housing because the building they were in was condemned. It was in a large apartment building in Trotwood, which was condemned. And also some lost their jobs because the businesses were destroyed. So, you know, consider that. Yeah. So, yes, please keep Dayton, Ohio, and all of this area in your prayers. We so appreciate it because prayers can move mountains. Well, St. John of the Cross uh, would uh, seem to have given... Uh, been given good support for his argument that we will be judged in love. And that uh, comes to us from 1 Corinthians 13, not surprisingly. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is not to say that our hearts are not generous even now, but, you know, if we are expected to enter eternity through them, and we want that eternity to be heaven then maybe we are also expected to strive to enlarge them. I'm sure we are. And that's in order to make the transition smoother, actually, because we want to go straight to heaven, right? Exactly right. Exactly right. And we also want to bring people with us. We want to affect the world. St. John of the Cross uh, uh, likewise talks in other places about the need to impact the world. And he says, even an ounce of this pure love is greater than many acts of charity, which is why we ask you to pray, even if you don't happen to be in the Miami Valley or don't plan to make uh, any visit here in the near future or engage in any of the, the significant work that has to be undertaken to clean up from the tornadoes. Your prayers are what matter. Your prayers, your intercession is what matters for us. And John of the Cross would say that love, that measure of love, even an ounce once it's been purified, is more valuable to the church than many, many hours of charitable works. Well, the Apostle Jude later completes Christ's command, but gives us specific instructions on how to both open our hearts and lead us into eternal life. This is from Jude chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. So here we find the connection to prayer, Francis, right? Praying in the Spirit. We could do a whole program on praying in the Spirit. In fact, we probably should at some point because um, that very simple phrase has, has a significant impact if we fully understand what it means to pray in the Spirit. By praying in the Spirit, of course, we will be built up, our hearts will be enlarged, and we will be brought into eternal life through the love of God. So disposing our hearts for this enlargement process, we said earlier, is about love, but it also has to be linked to prayer. No credible Christian theology would ever debate that the question uh, seems to center around this issue about what makes us narrow 
in our hearts. We heard the term, we, we're very familiar with the term narrow-minded, but we're using it in a theological context now. And so we're saying a narrow heart. What would make the heart narrow? If we're enlarging it, it's because it's too narrow. What is it that would make this heart narrow? Well, the heart image is simply an analogy to how we enter into and conform ourselves, as I said earlier, to the image of Christ. If Christ's sacred heart is our model, we know that it overflows uh, continuously with love. In fact, in the image that you shared, um, Francis, earlier today, announcing our program, a wonderful image of the sacred heart aflame with love. I don't know if you want to say more about that image. That, that image is very powerful. If you're not familiar with it, I'm sure many of our listeners are, with a, a flame sitting atop Christ's heart and him looking out um, at, at uh, uh, whoever would be looking at him. And so and, many of them, he's holding his heart and offering it to right, us. Right. I just love that. Well, Scripture makes clear that we are, in fact, to continually conform ourselves, our hearts, our minds, and our wills, to this perfect image that we've been presented with. And we have Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And if Christ tells us specifically that we must strive to enter by the narrow gate, then there's something we're supposed to do. But Mark, we haven't answered that yet exactly. So what is it we're supposed to do according to Romans 12, 32? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I was reading today, and I think it's fascinating, Francis, that the impact of the mind on the soul is something we have to be familiar with. We know about what St. John of the Cross talks about with regard to the memory. Of course, memory is our collective human experience. We won't go into much detail about it. But we know how a song, a, an image, a memory can affect us mentally, either positively or negatively, but ultimately it then affects the soul. And what Paul is saying here in his letter to Romans, do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we allow for the renewal of our mind? Well, there are a great many things in the world that would like to convince us uh, that we are acceptable, that we are good, um, and that we will not need this transformation into Christ. This transformation, of course, ultimately must come from the heart, not exclusively from the mind or from our understanding. It is in our heart that we are transformed. Paul said, do not be conformed to the world, but Luke says something different. And this is Luke chapter 12, verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I have to say, after hearing so many stories of this tornado and the destruction, how many people came out of homes that were destroyed and were thankful to be alive. Mm -hmm. And they realized their house was just full of stuff and that they could rebuild, they could uh, go on. Uh, but they really uh, were so appreciative to be alive. So it's like our priorities are realigned when we come to that kind of a tragedy. And so many people were realizing the value of life and the dignity of a soul. I was speaking to a dear friend today who uh, lives um, 
in an area that was actually just a, a little bit over a mile away from where one of those many storms touched down and, and uh, uh, did a significant amount of uh, damage. And she said exactly that. She said, coming out of the experience, and especially after witnessing what had happened only a short distance from her home, she said, I felt almost uh, a great peace. One, that I had survived, but two, she said, it made all the other problems in my life seem so much smaller, right. you know? And, and I want to just reiterate this, this statement earlier about how the world wants to convince us of fulfillment being found through what is acceptable and good. But none of those things have the power to transform us in the way that Christ does. Much like the rich young man, many people are happy to serve the Lord when he fulfills their desires or as long as he does not ask any sacrifice of them. Unfortunately, that's not found in Scripture. It's just the opposite. Yes, this is from Matthew 19, verse 21 and 22. Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And of course, when we talk about this, Francis, as you and I have before, um, and we identify what Christ meant by give away what you have, so many people, and I've heard very few priests actually speak about this topic because it's a bit challenging to articulate, but I don't think personally it's that uh, difficult for us to understand. What Christ is really saying is give away the most important possession you have. What is that? That's our will. Our will is the single most important possession we have. It is actually, in fact, the only thing that we really own, the only thing that we could possibly give away. And who do we give it to? We give it to, to Christ. This narrow way uh, means, of course, that we must learn then to constrict our desires and allow ourselves to be transformed in the same way that John the Baptist was transformed. Christ himself said John the Baptist was the greatest uh, human person um, living at that time and uh, was before Christ himself uh, the model of what we were to do. And John, of course, knew um, that he must constrict um, his desires and focus exclusively on what was most important to him. And he talks about this in John 3.30. He must increase, but I must decrease. So this decreasing of our desires or how we think things should work out, will certainly seem to constrict us and make us grow smaller. But this is exactly how we will be able to enter this narrow way. So here's where I want to insert my list of how to conform myself to the sacred heart of Jesus. Well, love like Jesus did. That's, that's the most important thing. And I'm going to list some specific things. One, pardon, forgive, be merciful, offer compassion to self and others, be consoling, offering sacrifice to emulate or detach or mortify yourself. We know that Jesus was the incarnate priest and victim simultaneously, offering reparation. We can add and uh, reparation. Pray, 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 pray as an intermediary, as an intercessor. Um, praise, exercise virtues, meekness, humility, devotion, 
Consecrate yourself to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and I would add to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and have a devotion and adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. So that's my short list there, Mark. <laughs> I think that's a perfect list. Um, and, and as I said, having practical uh, ways that we can apply these principles to our life is what's most important. You know, it's one thing to read a book or to hear a, a broadcast of some kind, uh, to go to a conference, if you will. Uh, but I always try to focus, I know you do, Francis, in your teaching, trying to give very practical ways for people to apply these lessons, to make them meaningful, to sort of create a hook uh, to where um, there's something uh, e either consistently that I can engage in or at least with some, um, uh, you know, repetition, focus on to keep me enlarging my heart, conforming myself to the image of Christ, and being transformed in love. And I want to offer a spiritual challenge, as uh, St. Teresa Margaret Reddy of the Sacred Heart would do many, many times, and that is to take one of the things that we suggested and really focus on it for this month, of devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and really try to uh, become better at whatever you choose. Make it doable, practical, because if it's too much and too hard, you'll give up too fast, okay? The irony is that in this process of allowing Christ to transform us and conform us into His image, we will actually literally be given a new heart. It'll be His heart. Ezekiel 36, 26 tells us, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And then Paul writing to Ephesians, Francis, I'd ask you to read this for us, gives us a lengthy, uh, but nonetheless, uh, I think very uh, precise um, explanation of this entire process that we've been talking about here for almost an hour now, of this transformation in love, the introduction of power, and how it is that we use um, uh, uh, love, even to go beyond our, our uh, knowledge and, and the use of our mind. This is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 19. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. With this new heart, which is all gift, we will increase our capacity to love which ultimately will serve to draw us closer and closer into the reality of our eternal life. Well, those are our uh, comments for conversation tonight, listeners. We appreciate you taking time to rejoin us on the Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. It will be our pleasure over the next many weeks to continue these conversations, and we hope uh, that you'll be able to continue to join us or at least listen to us on podcasts. As Francis said, we'll be hosting uh, our podcasts also at CarmeliteConversations.com so you can get it there or on Radio Maria. And Francis, if I can, I'd like to ask you to close us in prayer. 
Okay, before I do that, though, I just want to give a preview for next Monday night. Oh, thank you. Thanks for <laughs> next Monday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you can uh, find your Radio Maria app, or you can go to the website, radiomaria.us, and there are lots of instructions on ways that you can connect with Radio Maria. We are going to be talking about the spiritual itinerary of St. Teresa Margaret Reddy of the Sacred Heart, a discalced Carmelite nun from Florence, Italy, who had a very um, deeply prayerful life, but not one filled with extraordinary phenomena. So we're going to be able to relate to her better. And she's going to give us a lot of great suggestions on how to grow on this journey, how to enlarge our heart. And I think everyone will enjoy learning um, how they can imitate her and grow in love. Well, and I think most especially what's great about her, you mentioned it, is she wasn't filled with a whole series of mystical phenomena. It is her life, the way she lived, the way she conducted herself, her disposition of heart that makes her, I think, such a powerful model, uh, both for us as, as Carmelites and for those who have this devotion to the Sacred Heart. So I uh, look forward to picking up on that conversation. All right, so I'm going to finish with a prayer to the Sacred Heart. This is by St. Gertrude the Great, one of the first saints I learned about. She's a Benedictine nun and mystic uh, from the 1200s, middle 1200s. She's one of the first proponents of devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And this prayer is actually a model for all of our prayers to the Sacred Heart as we ask Jesus to conform our hearts to His and our will to His. So let us get recollected. Let us look to the presence of God within our own hearts and souls. And let us sign ourselves and pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail, O Sacred Heart of Jesus, living and quickening source of eternal life, infinite treasure of the divinity, and burning furnace of divine love. Thou art my refuge and my sanctuary, O my amiable Savior. Consume my heart with that burning fire with which thine is ever inflamed. Pour down on my soul those graces which flow from thy love. Let my heart be united with thine, that our wills may be one, and mine in all things be conformed to thine. May thy divine will be equally the standard and rule of all my desires and of all of my actions. Amen. And I add, Sacred Heart of Jesus, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, again, a reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. Until we are with you again next week, we wish you Godspeed and God bless. Amen.